We're in a series focusing on the the Sermon on the Mount. We've called it the Risen Way of the Kingdom. And uh, the first week we talked about blessed are the poor in spirit. Last week Greg talked about blessed are those who mourn. Uh, Today I'm going to talk about uh, the peacemakers. And then next week we're going to, this is going to be kind of a a two-part series here. Next week I'm going to focus on the rest of the Beatitudes and how they connect to peacemaking. Uh, but today I'm going to focus on uh, this, this text on what it means to be a peacemaker. And the reason why I wanted to connect the Sermon on the Mount to, uh, to the resurrection and Easter is because of these two reasons that we've been unpacking the, the last couple of weeks. That the resurrection is God's way of confirming that everything Jesus said about himself is true. When, when God raised Jesus from the dead, he's basically saying, whatever my son said about himself, that my son is the resurrection and the life, that my son is the Messiah, that my son is the one who can forgive sins, this is, this is what validates it. This is what vindicates him. This is what confirms that reality. Whatever my son said about himself is true. The resurrection proves that. But in addition to Jesus, uh, con- God confirming what Jesus said about himself, The resurrection is God's way of saying what my son said about the kingdom of God is true as well. That the kingdom of God is the way, the truth, and the path to life. And the resurrection essentially says you cannot separate the resurrection of Jesus from what Jesus actually said. And by God vindicating him, he's basically saying this is the way. Whatever my son said is the way to truth, life, and and, uh, the way, the truth, and the path to life. And so today we're going to focus on what it means to be peacemakers. We're going to focus on the risen way of peacemaking. And this is our, our verse for the day. Let's, let's, let's read it together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. One more time together. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, would you now open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts. Lord, teach us what it means as we are in a world of conflict and trouble, what it means to bear witness to your kingdom, what it means to be peacemakers. And so, Lord, would you speak to us in deep and profound ways today. We offer this time to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Amen. When I became a Christian, one of the first sermons I heard, I recall it uh, very vividly, uh, it was a sermon about storms. And I remember the, the, the evangelist, the pastor saying that uh, storms are a metaphor for the challenging seasons of life. And the preacher said something that stuck with me, and maybe you've heard it at one point or another in your life as well. He said this, he said, in life, you are either in a storm You've just come out of a storm or you're about to go into a storm. That's just life. You're either in a storm, you just, you, you're, you just came out of a storm, or you're about to go in a storm. That there's no way around it. No matter how smart you are, no matter how wealthy you are, no matter how powerful you are, you are either in a storm, you have just come out of a storm, or you are on your way into a storm. And as I thought about that image of the storm and thought about this message on peacemaking, I thought the same applies to conflict. That conflict in life is inevitable. There's no way around it. You are either in a conflict, you have just come out of a conflict, or you are on your way into a conflict. There's no way around it. 
And some of you say, well, what if, I, what if I just go to a deserted island and I'm by myself? You have a conflict with yourself on that <laughs> deserted island as well. And so you are either in a conflict, you're uh, it's coming out of a conflict, or you're stepping into a conflict. And the reality is most of us, if not all of us, were not discipled or taught how to deal with conflict. No one sat down with us. I don't think most of our parents, if not all of our parents, didn't sit down with us and say, now we're going to talk about how to negotiate differences. We're going to talk about how to deal with conflict. We're going to talk about how to be peacemakers. None of us, or if, if there are any of us in this room, very few of us took a class on peacemaking, took a class on negotiating differences, took a class on getting through conflict. And the reality is most of us, we've been part of churches that have given us Bible verses on how to avoid conflict as opposed to stepping into it. And so the the tragic reality is our inability as individuals to deal with conflict, to be peacemakers in the midst of a turbulent and hostile world has ramifications that are global. And our inability to deal with conflict, our inability to to be peacemakers has all kinds of implications and ramifications. The world is in conflict and the world desperately needs peace. And when you consider the threats globally and personally, the threats and the conflicts are very real. Whether you're talking about the threat of of, uh, nuclear war or whether you're talking about gang violence or domestic abuse or sexual assault whether you're talking about racism or terrorism, the list goes on. We are in dire need of people who know how to make peace. And the conflict that exists has been exacerbated. It's been intensified in our political climate. And so there's divisions and conflicts. And we desperately need people who know how to make peace. And so what we're going to see today is that God's kingdom is clearly made manifest when peacemakers are present. When you see peacemakers come on the scene, when you see peacemakers in action, the kingdom of God is clearly made manifest. And we are desperately in need of a movement of peacemakers in our homes, in our schools, in our workplaces, in our churches, in public and social life. We need peacemakers. In an increasingly divided and hostile world, followers of Jesus are called to make peace, not contribute to the chaos that exists in the world. And what we're going to see in this passage, this really simple passage, is that making peace is not easy. Peacemaking is often not nice either. And yet, it is necessary. And so we come to our text, Jesus says, blessed are those, or the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've been trying to unpack the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes, and when Jesus says blessed, and he he gives this constitution for the Christian, this is the constitution of the Christian, the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is not a prescription, it is a, uh, to get into the kingdom of God, it's a description of those who are already in the kingdom of God. This is not a way of saying if you do these things, you get accepted by God. It is you have been accepted by God, therefore you do these things. It is important that we get that clear nuance. The way we get into the kingdom of God is by simple trust and faith in Jesus. 
That Jesus Christ and his love, he died for us, he resurrected on the third day. And and by us saying, I'm attaching my life to Jesus, I'm trusting in his love, I'm trusting in his sacrificial redemptive death and his powerful resurrection. That's how you get into the kingdom of God. But when you get into the kingdom of God, Jesus says, now there's a few things that we need to live by to demonstrate that we're in. And Jesus has said, blessed are the poor in spirits, blessed are those who mourn, blessed are the meek, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. In other words, this is a description of the Christian community. This is a description of our lives. That for the Christian, our lives are to be marked, perhaps primarily in this one sermon, marked by these words here more more than anything else in the Bible. That if you want to strip down what is the call of a Christian, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives it to us right now. And the tragic reality is most Christians in our country are not even aware what the Sermon on the Mount says. How are we going to live it? We've either seen the Sermon on the Mount as the suggestion on the Mount. That God says, if you can get to it, I know you're busy, but if you can get to doing some of these things here, here's a, here's a suggestion I have for you. The other way of seeing it is, if it's not the suggestion on the mount, it's been theologized in such a way where we say, the Sermon on the Mount is simply to show us our sin and that we need God's grace, but we really don't have to live this stuff. It just points to your sin and you need God's forgiveness and you need God's grace. And so it's either a suggestion you can get to it if you, if you want to. Or it just shows us our sin. You really can't live it. But yes, Jesus has given us these words for us to actually live it. To actually demonstrate to the world, which is why he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. In other words, those who recognize their poverty are in position now to receive the resources of God to actually live this thing out. And so Jesus was very serious about us living it out, and yet the reality is most Christians, our lives are not marked by this sermon. The tragic reality is that most Christians don't even know what's in it. There was a, and, and it, it, there was a study by Barna, an uh, organization that does surveys and stuff on Christianity and things of that nature, and there was data that came out about uh, the lack of Bible knowledge that Christians have and the struggle that we have to live out the words of Jesus. And there were three different kind of uh, data points that they mentioned. One person, one uh, statistic said that at least 12% of adults uh, believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife, you know, just just, as Noah's Ark, Joan of Arc. One survey said that uh, 50% of high schoolers believe that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife, you know, just, it's just bad, this is just bad. It said a considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham, that Billy Graham preached the Sermon on the Mount. And I'm sure he did, I'm sure he did, but he wasn't the first person to preach the Sermon on the Mount. And so the truth is, the tragic reality is, when it comes to the Sermon on the Mount, if this is the Christian constitution, if this is the way that Christians are to be shaped and ordered by, by our uh, Lord and Savior, most of us have had a hard time with it. 
It was Kurt Vonnegut, American novelist. I've read some of his novels, and I came across a quote that he said about this, and, and this is what he said, and I think it's an important critique for the church. He said, for some reason, the most vocal Christians among us never mention the Beatitudes, but often with tears in their eyes, they demand that the Ten Commandments be posted in public buildings. And of course, that's Moses, not Jesus. I haven't heard one of them demand that the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, be posted anywhere. How about blessed are the merciful in a courtroom? How about blessed are the peacemakers in the Pentagon? And I think it's an important critique for us. And he's not even a Christian. He's basically saying, are you Christians? You're supposed to be identified by a particular way. And the way is the way that Jesus lays out for us in the Sermon on the Mount. And so we're going to focus on this beatitude. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who make peace. Now, when Jesus begins, remember, for every uh, beatitude, he begins with blessed. And that word blessed uh, refers to the condition of an individual who has been favorably accepted by God. That God, he, as Dale Bruner said, he, he blesses before he commands. He doesn't command and then blesses. He blesses and then commands. Religion believes that you, you command and then you get blessed. Jesus begins with blessing. And then he launches us out and says, now here are some demands and commands that I have for us. But Jesus says, blessed are those. Blessed are those, that word, those who have been favorably accepted by God. And this condition produces great joy and happiness in the life of someone. God is basically saying, Jesus is saying, God wants you to be happy, but happy on God's terms, not the world's terms. And so blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are, all, blessed are the peacemakers. And Jesus needed to say this, and especially in his time, because wherever Jesus went, there was deep conflict and hostility. There was hostility within the religious community. The poor and the vulnerable in Jesus' day were, were treated with disdain. The Roman Empire often exploited people. We see plenty of moments of conflict within the Gospels, situations that needed peace and harmony. And our world is not much different. There's everywhere you look, there's conflict. Inside the church, there's conflict. Outside the church, there's conflict. There's nowhere you can look without there being conflict. There's conflict politically. There's conflict racially. There's conflict and division socioeconomically. And if there's one thing we know how to do, we know how to divide. We know how to have conflict with one another. We don't know how to resolve it, but if there's one thing we know how to do is have conflict with one another. And we, and we have conflict over the smallest things and divide over the smallest things. A couple of years ago, I, w I went on Facebook and um, I, I just wanted to put my opinion out. And, and, and I said, uh, Shake Shack burgers are better than In-N-Out burgers. That's a California thing, and, 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 and it, it, it was like an East Coast, West Coast beef. All of a sudden, literally beef, and it was just like this. All of a sudden, on my Facebook page, who are you to say what a, it's just a hamburger, it's a hamburger. <laughs> and people fighting on my, I said, I, I, you, we're going to, stop, no more commenting at all. I had to delete the post, it was over a hamburger. We divide over hamburgers and french fries. 
How much more do we divide over race and politics and faith and all of these things here? And so we know how to make conflict with each other. And yet Jesus calls us to learn how to make peace out of these things. Now, the truth is, we don't make peace. And the way we typically go often looks like peace, but often contributes to more problems. And we often believe that Jesus says, blessed are the peacekeepers. And the truth is, we're good at peacekeeping, but not peacemaking. And so this verse is often one of the most misinterpreted verses in all of the Bible. But we have to make a distinction between peacekeeping and peacemaking. And this is my simple way of making the the, the distinction. Peacekeeping leads to false peace. Peacekeeping leads to true peace. And it's as simple as that. Peacekeeping leads to false peace. Peacemaking leads to true peace. And we all have a problem with peacemaking because the route that we typically go is the route of peacekeeping. Now, an argument can be made, and a case can be made, generally speaking, that particular cultures and ethnicities are more inclined to peacekeeping. And that might be true, but in my experience as a pastor at New Life here for 10 years, a church that's incredibly diverse, ethnically, culturally, socioeconomically, generationally, educationally, the reality is all of us in this room, no matter where you come from, have chosen the route of peacekeeping over peacemaking. It happens with Latinos. It happens with Asians and Asian Americans. It happens with our African-American brothers and sisters. It happens with our white brothers and sisters. It happens with young folks and old folks, folks who are highly educated and folks that are not highly educated, folks who are wealthy and folks who are not wealthy. We all have an issue, and when conflict comes, we go the the route of peacekeeping rather than peacemaking, and we rationalize our way through it. We say, our culture is, this is just what our culture is like. Or this is how, this is just what my family is like. And that may be true, and Jesus yet calls us to a different way of being in the world. We've seen it all happen, where we choose the route of peacekeeping. I've seen it happen in my life. It's the family, it's the water that I drink, it's the air that I breathe, it's the family that I came from. That most, most, most of my family, if not all of my family, did not do peacemaking well, and it shaped me deeply. I think about the, 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 the cycle, the perpetual cycle of my family, and maybe you can identify a little bit with this. I have a big family, so when there's larger families, that means larger conflicts, more conflicts. My grandparents had six uh, sons, six daughters, you know, the, 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 the 12 tribes of Puerto Rico right there, and... <laughs> And, and 35 cousins plus cousins. And so, and we lived, most of us lived within two blocks of each other. And so I grew up with cousins and uncles. And, and so there was always conflict. And the cycle went like this. A disagreement would come. And after the disagreement came, resentment would follow. And after resentment came, separation would come. Sometimes months at a time. And we lived down the block months at a time. And then what would happen? A social event would happen, would come, a birthday party, a sweet 16, something like that. And then the family members who were separated would get back together. You see them on the dance floor just now having a great time together. (laughs) 
And then all is well again. They didn't talk about the issue, but all is well again. They're hugging, they're kissing, and then three weeks go by again, another disagreement comes. And then resentment follows. And then separation comes. And then there's a party that's thrown. And they're on the dance floor again, just dancing. And they're hugging it out. And then, and then a month later, a disagreement happens. And sometimes we're talking the separation. We're not just talking like three days. Nobody didn't. There's about three months, four months of not talking to each other. This is the air I breathed growing up. This is the water I drank growing up. And so it got deeply in me, in my marriage, deeply in me as a pastor. And all of us have been marked and shaped by our families in one way or another. And so we've chosen the route often of peacekeeping. The opposite of peacemaking is often it's either violence, where we see a lot in the world, or it's peacekeeping, which is at all costs, avoid conflict. And so peacekeeping says, don't rock the boat. Peacekeeping says, don't make anyone uncomfortable. Peacekeeping says, make sure no one gets upset. And so when out of this, it's really rooted in fear, we, we avoid conflict, we appease people, we, we end up being false peacemakers. And we end up living the way of false peace. And whether this is on a one-on-one situation, whether it's in a small group that meets, whether it's in a church, whether it's pertaining large social justice issues, we often choose the way of peacekeeping. Let me give a few examples of how this happens in our everyday I imagine some of you, maybe uh, you're, you're upset with your spouse, maybe, who comes home uh, late every day after work. But instead of saying something, you say nothing because you, you, you rationalize that the Christian thing to do is to be quiet. That the Christian thing to do is not to rock the boat. That the Christian thing, Jesus would, would, would just let, let it alone. Pray for him. Pray for her. But what happens is you begin to live with a passive aggressiveness. You start living with giving the silent treatment. And what happens is on the outside, there's no screaming and no fighting, but it's a false peace. Or you're at work and you hear your coworkers are slandering your boss and you don't agree with them, but you're afraid to speak up. Because you think, I don't want to create an awkward moment. Who wants to be the guy that creates an awkward moment? They're all agreeing. They go, I just don't see it that way. Who, who wants to create that awkward moment? And so even though they are coming against the person and slandering and gossiping and you disagree, you don't say anything. And that's a false peace. Or oh, my favorite, you go to dinner with 10 people and you're on a budget. You're tight financially. And so you only order like but you order like a salad and maybe some breadsticks. And everybody else is ordering steak and wine. And, just, and then the bill comes and one person has a bright, bright idea and says, let's just split the bill across the board. And it's like, but I'm a budget. I'm on a, I'm on a budget. I, I'm on a, but I'm on a budget. I just, I didn't, I, didn't, I brought cash. I, I just, I, this is all I got here. 
And there's always that one person, uh, they, they already had too much to drink. Let's just, it's going to be too much to just calculate. Let's just split it across the board. But, but, but you're, you're tight. You're, you're, you're on a budget. And somehow you end up paying anyway. Just, yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no, no problem at all. We'll just go ahead with it. And now you're resentful and you hate them and you're talking about they're around their back and you're passive aggressive and all that stuff there. But they would have thought, look at this person. She's just such a good person. She just goes along with it. But it's false peace. Or you are in a relationship with someone and he's irresponsible, but you feel bad. And you rationalize. You say, he's had so much come against him already. He's going through so much. I don't want to add to his problems. I don't want to add to the situation. And yet, instead of saying things in a timely, respectful, loving way, we don't say anything. It's a false peace. Sooner or later, when we live the route of of false peace and peacekeeping, chaos, sooner or later, will come to the surface. It might take five years. It might take 10 years. It might take 20 years. But you can be sure that beneath the surface, there's a lot of chaos already. And that there's not harmony. There's not true wholeness. There's not true healing because we often go the route of peacekeeping. Peacekeeping leads to false peace. Peacemaking leads to true peace. And we see in this simple verse, this is what Jesus does. Jesus is the the quintessential peacemaker. And And he shows us that we cannot avoid, ignore, or deny our way into true peace. We can't avoid it, we can't ignore it, and we can't deny our way into true peace. We have to make it. And so we see this. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peace wishers. Jesus doesn't say, blessed are the peace hopers. Blessed are the peace dreamers. Blessed are the peace thinkers. Blessed are the peace lovers. He doesn't say any of that. He says, blessed are the peacemakers. Peace is not something that magically happens. It has to be made. Blessed are the peacemakers. And so what does it mean to be a peacemaker? Here, here's a, a working definition that we can, we can try to work with, a simple one, where peacemaking is someone who actively seeks to reconcile people to God and to each other. To make peace, it's, there's, an act, there's an intentionality to reconcile people to God and to each other. And, and the two are interrelated to each other. If, if you don't have right relationships with people, you don't have a right relationship with God. The, the two are connected to one another. But when you have right relationships with, with God, it's to lead into right relationships with people. And so Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And what is Jesus saying? That, that, that word peace is the word shalom. And we, we've heard of that word at one point or another. And, and in, in Jesus' time, the word shalom was, uh, one use of it was, it, it was just a, a greeting, or a goodbye. Someone would say someone, see someone and say, shalom. Or they're about to leave and they say, shalom. It was a greeting. Much like when I, when I get off the phone with someone or I see a friend and I haven't seen him in a while and, and, and I'm up, we're about to leave and I say, man, p- peace. And I get the, yeah, peace. That's the Brooklyn thing. Peace. <laughs> Let's walk out. But shalom is not just a greeting. It's not just a goodbye or a hello. It was a theologically rich term. Speaking to health and prosperity and harmony and wholeness. And so when when many people think about peace, we think peace is the absence of conflict. Peace is the absence of 
war. But that's not, that's not God's definition of peace. God's definition of peace is not the absence of, of, of something. It's the presence of something. It's not the absence of something. It's the presence of something. Dr. King said it this way. Dr. King would, would talk about negative peace and positive peace. Dr. King said that negative peace is the belief that, that peace comes through the absence of tension. But positive peace, in Dr. King's words, is the presence of justice. That is the presence of right relationships with God and right relationships with our neighbors. And so when two Jews meet, would meet in Jesus' time, they would say, Shalom. Shalom. And when they say shalom to one another, they're not saying, may you not have any conflict. They're not saying, may you not have any war. They're saying, may you enjoy the full satisfaction, the full harmony, the full tranquility, the full calm, the full justice that God brings to your life. Shalom. And when we speak shalom, to be peacemakers, when we speak shalom to one another, we're not just saying, I I pray you never have conflict. We're saying, I I pray that you would enjoy the full harmony of God that often comes in the midst of conflict. Look at at the person next to you and just say, shalom. Shalom. Look at another person, just shalom. The full bounty, abundance of God's harmony to you, the depth of peace to you, this is what we are trying to make in the world. And so to be a peacemaker is one who takes initiative to do these kinds of things. And here's the reality. To be a peacemaker means that it's often very difficult. Those who are peacemakers often do not receive peace from others. It makes sense in while Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. And then right after this verse, he says, blessed are those who are persecuted. I just saw it this week. Like, oh, yeah. Because when you try to make peace, when you're a peacemaker, that means you have to go sometimes into hostile territory. It means you have to go into places where there's conflict. And everyone is not just happy that you're there. That there's times where it gets pretty intense. And it makes sense right after Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, that he would say, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And so Jesus says, This is not for the faint of heart. And it's not simply about just being nice, but it's about entering into spaces where there is conflict and showing that there's another way forward. When you look at Jesus, there's no word in the Bible that describes Jesus as nice. Never in a point in the Bible where Jesus is described as being nice. Now, certainly Jesus was nice. But never in the Bible, it doesn't say, Nice is not a fruit of the Spirit. Now, I want everybody to be nice. Of course we want to be nice. But there are times when Jesus, when he would see injustice take place, that he, he, he went into the temple and he started flipping tables. He saw how poor people were being treated and being exploited in, the, in God's house. And he started just, he started, he started it, the Bible says that, that Jesus, he, he made a whip. And it doesn't say he hit him with it, but he shoes him out. He shoes the, all the people who are taking advantage. He shoes them out. And Jesus sometimes, isn't he so confusing sometimes? Like right before he's flipping tables, he's at a wedding, and, and, and he makes wine for the wedding, and he makes a whip for the temple. It's like, Jesus, you would think he's making the whip for the wedding and for all the drinking that's taking place there. But no, 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 no. He, he's making wine. 
and he's making a whip over here. Jesus is so confusing sometimes. And yet Jesus is not nice all the time. He's flipping tables. A nice person wouldn't be crucified by the religious establishment. And yet Jesus is a peacemaker par excellence. Jesus is a peacemaker, the best peacemaker there is. And the truth is peacemaking is not always a nice and easy thing to do. And yet when we are peacemakers, we show forth the life of the kingdom of God. And so whether we're talking about this on an individual level, on a small group level, on a church level, in your workplace, in your family, in your neighborhood, with issues of race, issues of justice in the world, we are called to be peacemakers. And every time conflict comes up, it becomes a discipleship moment. Every time there's conflict and tension, it becomes a spiritual formation moment. What do we do with what is before us? And so what I want to do is I want to just unpack a few guidelines for us as we think about peacemaking. And next week, we're going to follow up with a little bit more of this. But I want to just lay out for us a few ways to be thinking about peacemaking whenever tension comes, whether it's when, when someone does something in your home repeatedly and you've just been ignoring or you've been exploding in violence. How do you make peace? How do we make the most of these moments, discipleship moments? I want to offer just five ways forward and then we'll pray together. The first thing as we think about a guide to peacemaking and what it means for our lives is the first line of work is really internal work that we have to do. It's interior work that we have to do. And it's really reflecting on how your family handled conflict. When we take the time to reflect on how our families have handled conflict, we see much clearer the ways that we've been shaped and the ways that we have been formed. And so at New Life, a big part of our spiritual formation is to take note, to do inventory and recognize the ways our families have shaped us. And the truth is we have positive legacies and we have negative legacies. We have legacies we've received from our families that are in line with the kingdom of God and we have legacies that are against the kingdom of God. But unless we are doing this work to reflect on how have I been shaped We will not have enough self-awareness to allow the gospel and the kingdom of God to break in and think about a whole new different way of being in the world. Now, when I think about how my family did conflict, it became very clear how I do conflict. Whenever I would see my my parents uh, in an argument or or, or fighting and such, and and by God's grace, uh, they just got 40 years uh, of marriage together, and by God's grace, they're, they're doing great. But growing up, it wasn't always that nice. And what I would see growing up is whenever there was tension, I, I rarely ever saw them sit down at the kitchen table and, and just, let's, let's just negotiate our differences here. Let's talk about, I mean, listen to you, you listen to me. What I would see is uh, some kind of explosion, some kind of screaming, and then my, my father would just, he'd leave. I mean, I just got to go. I'll be back. You know, he didn't say when he's coming back, but I'll, 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 I'll be I'll be back. And I saw that growing up. Whenever tension comes, oh, oh, uh, you, you go that way. You, you, you leave. And so when I got married, I, I said to myself, I, I am not going to go that route. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, when conflict comes, I'm going to stay present. And then I got married. <laughs> and conflict comes. This is a reality of conflict, reality of marriage. And everything inside of me is like, Stay present, stay present, stay present. I got to get out of here. I got to get out of here. And I vowed that I'd never leave the house. 
but I'm going to another room. I, 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 I'm, talking, I'm glad I closed the door there. But, but the same thing applies. I, I'm leaving. I'm fleeing. I'm not facing. I'm not, I'm not listening. I'm not speaking. And th- this stuff is deep in us. It's deep in us. It is, it, it is the water we drink. It's the air that we breathe. And unless we are taking inventory of the ways that we've been shaped by our families of origin, the ways we've been shaped by our parents and our grandparents, we will not understand the way of peacemaking and the way of Jesus. And so really our homework for this week, a big part of it is how did your family do it? And to identify the ways that you have been shaped by this experience. Now, secondly, in order to be peacemakers, this is a radical shift in in thinking that we need as well, is that we have to see conflict as a normal reality of life. And most of us don't see conflict as a normal reality. We see it as it's something bad, and it means I'm bad. That when conflict comes up, someone is bad, as opposed to this is just what it means to be human. This is what it means to be Christian, that conflict will come. And it often, I, in my life and in many people who are older than me, I've asked the same question, does it ever get easier? And it often is no. You would think it gets easier. You would think, and the reality is, sometimes conflicts are so deep that it's just, it is what it is. I remember talking to one of our, our elders, Andrew Favilla, and he was the board chair for a number of years, and there was one situation where we had to step into a situation and, and identify, a, really resolve a conflict. And Andrew was going to be leading that time, and I asked him before the meeting, I said, Andrew, does it ever get any easier? And he looked at me, it was just straight face, he says, no. <laughs> no. I thought, oh, well, at least I know now that it's not going to get, but it's a normal reality of life. And surely we want to equip you. We want to give you the tools and the skills that you need. But there's always, there's something inside, a fear inside of us, an anxiety inside of us that's often very difficult to shape because, shake because we've been so deeply shaped by thinking that conflict is a bad thing. And yet, if we can see conflict as a normal reality of life, the normal human experience, the normal Christian experience, we will not be prone to run from it. Conflict is normal. Your marriage has conflict, normal. I get nervous when I hear people say, we don't have any conflict. I meet some married couples sometimes, are you struggling with anything, any conflict? No, we're doing great. No, you're not. You can't tell me that there are two people from two different families who are now in the same space and everything is just wonderful all the time. And so it's a normal reality of conflict in your work, conflict in the church, normal. The reality, the, the sad reality is there's so much church hopping that takes place and people leave one church to the next church to the next church because in their mind they believe that conflict is unchristian. And so there's trouble here. I got to go over there. And you know what you're doing? You're bringing it with you. You're just, you're bringing it with you. <laughs> How'd it get here? You brought it. It's <laughs> so Christians, I got to go to another church. There's too much drama over there. Well, congratulations. You just brought some more drama to the next church. <laughs> but if we see it as a normal reality of life, that when conflict comes, it doesn't mean I got to fight you until peace comes, or I got to get out of here. It means this is just normal. Now, how can we work for peace? Which leads me to the next part. 
Apart from just seeing conflict as a normal reality, peacemaking comes when you have a life devoted to prayer for reflection. Now, I, I phrased it very intentionally this way because I didn't just say have a life devoted to prayer because the truth is many Christians have used prayer to avoid conflict. Or many Christians have tried to pray conflict away. Or we pray against Satan to deal with the conflict. It's, you know, it's always Satan's fault, you know? And Satan sometimes, I mean, uh, Satan sometimes just like, that wasn't me, guys. That just wasn't me. <laughs> you know, Satan is like, I've done a lot of bad things here, but that, 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 that one wasn't me. That's Yatu. You guys got to work that out. And so we think, I just pray it away, pray it away. You can't pray away conflict. And Christians think, if I just, just pray enough, it'll go away. At New Life, we, we use it, the image of, of, of an elephant. We have addressing the elephants in the room. And the, and the truth is, it, it might be a little elephant right now, but that thing grows. And our refusal to deal with conflict feeds the elephant. It's, it's, it's the stuff the elephant grows off of are refused to address conflict. And so the more we, we refuse to address it, the bigger the elephant gets. It feasts off of that kind of silence. We can't pray it away. We need, by the grace of God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, by some tools and some skills to enter into that space so that peace can come. But it requires us to have a life devoted to prayer for reflection, a life that says, God, I'm feeling anxiety about this and offering our anxiety to God when conflict comes. Listening to God, how should I respond? How should I speak? What's the right time? But we're not, we're not using God to run from conflict. We're using, we, we are working with God to enter into that space. But it takes a life devoted to prayerful reflection. Often, again, it's either violence or it's silence. But our lives are called to a life with God. And it's out of this place that by God's grace, we need the courage to speak and the humility to listen. And one of the reasons we have two foundational courses at our church, emotionally healthy spirituality and emotionally healthy relationships, is because we were not discipled in this way. Our families didn't teach us this way. Our families didn't teach us how to speak. Our families didn't teach us how to listen. We need to be discipled in the way of Jesus, how to make peace. And so we need, by God's grace, the courage to speak and the humility to listen. And we want to equip you as a church so that we can do this well. And so one of those areas, my hope is that we would pay attention to God this week. The Holy Spirit will work deeply in us. That when conflict comes, whether you're in it right now, whether you just came out of it, or whether you're going into it, that this is what would shape our lives individually. This is what would shape our lives as we think about justice in the world. This is what would shape our lives as we think about race in the world that our lives will be marked by peacemaking. Now, I want to close with this. The reason why we often don't have peace and we are not peacemakers is because we often don't have peace within ourselves and peace with God. And because of our own internal turbulence, we project violence into the world and project chaos into the world. We, we project our own inner shame and guilt into the world. The regret that has closed us off to God's love. 
And so much of the conflict and the, the challenges and the pain that we see in life that need peacemaking often comes because of our own, we've projected it out because of our own internal turbulence that we have not been, has not been healed by Jesus, that has not been turned over to God. And I recognize the times that I'm most hurtful to others are times when I'm often most angry at myself. We're experiencing some my own kind of shame, my own kind of regret, my own kind of failure. It is at those moments where I project pain out into the world, which is why Richard Rohr said that, that when our pain is not transformed, it ends up being transmitted to others. When our pain is not transformed, it gets transmitted to others. And so the reality is, we, the, how can we become peaceful people? We need God's peace that deals with our own inner turbulence and the, the, the inner chaos that exists inside each and every one of us. And all of us have seasons and moments where there's turbulence and chaos happening inside of us that we need to surrender to Jesus. But it is only when we live in the love of God and surrender those places of chaos to God and inner turmoil to God that we can truly be peacemakers. And this is the good news of the gospel and of the resurrection, that, that God sees our inner turbulence. God sees our failures. God sees our regret. God sees the pain that we have. And he offers us grace in the midst of that. He sees our inner turbulence. He sees our regret. He sees our shame. He sees the violence we've projected out into the world. He sees the ways we've contributed to the chaos of the world. And he, and he comes to us and he offers us peace. This is what we see when Jesus resurrects. And I'll close with this. When Jesus resurrects from the dead, he looks for his disciples. And it says that they are, they're hiding in a room and of a, because of fear. Now, they have a lot of things going on inside of them. They've, they've rejected him. They've abandoned him. There's failure. There's shame. There's guilt. There's a lot of self-hatred, you imagine. And when Jesus sees them, he knows that there's something happening inside of them. And the first words that Jesus says to his disciples when he sees them is peace. Peace. Shalom. What a familiar word. Shalom. Now, it would have been appropriate for Jesus to say another word. When Jesus began his ministry, the first word Jesus said was not peace. The first word Jesus said was repent. You would think after they did all that to him, his first word to them would be repent again. Like you got, repent. You left me. Repent. You abandoned me. Repent. No, but, but no, no. Je peace. Peace to you. Shalom to you. Grace to you. Mercy to you. Compassion to you. And it is only after they receive the peace of God that they're able to now become peacemakers into the world. And it is only when we receive the peace of God, the loving forgiveness of Jesus, the mercy and compassion of God, that we can truly be peacemakers. When we surrender our own inner turmoil, our own inner shame and guilt, the things that often cause violence in the world, when we're able to surrender that to Jesus and receive his peace, it is at those spaces where we can become peacemakers. Let's pray together. I imagine in this room that there's two things happening. Number one, there's inner conflict and tension and turmoil that you've been wrestling with. And then there, there's outer conflict 
issues with people, challenges in the world that maybe you've been avoiding or you've been handling in a way that's actually maybe has made it worse through your own anger and maybe violence. And yet the way of Jesus is countercultural and counterintuitive and it flows out of receiving the peace of God. I wonder if you can hear today God's word of peace spoken to you. God sees your failure and he says, peace to you. He sees your inner turmoil and he says, peace to you. He sees your inner conflict, he says, peace to you. Your regret, peace to you. And it is when we embrace this peace of Jesus and allow it to truly enter into the deep places of our souls that we can be peacemakers. Lord Jesus, we desperately need to be formed by you, by the power of your spirit. And Lord, you said that we're blessed when we work for peace and that we resemble you. We are children of God. There's something about us that we work, when we work for peace, there is a resemblance that we have to you, a connection we have to you. And so, Lord, would you give us courage to look within? Lord, courage to listen, to speak. And Lord, whether it's in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our city, Lord, whether we're talking about justice and mercy, whatever it is, would you teach us to be peacemakers? And Lord, may it begin with the peace that we have in our own soul. And so we sing to you now words of praise and worship. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said. Let's have our prayer team come to my left. Invite those who are going to be offering the bread and the cup to come to my right. And listen, this is a foundational issue for all of us in this room. Peacemaking. It's one that often brings uh, great fear is often one that brings a great sense of anxiety and uncertainty. And we often go down the route of either violence or silence. It's either we don't know what to do and so we project our own anger out into the world or we run from it as fast as we can. And yet when we do that, we create a false peace in the world. And Jesus, through the power of his spirit, wants to lead us to be peacemakers, true peace. And whether that's in your home, with your children, with your spouse, with your friends, with your roommates, with your co-workers, with your friends at school, whether you're talking about large national issues, God's often called us to go into the areas where there is conflict and hostility and to show that there is another way possible, a way marked by love and mercy and justice and forgiveness and mutual understanding and listening and speaking. But there's another, another way is possible. And that through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can begin to live this way. But it begins with us, uh, it begins with us repenting. And by repenting, I mean to rethink the ways we've been shaped. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago that repentance means rethink everything in light of Jesus. So repentance is not just about behavioral modification. It's a, it's a new way of seeing, a new way of thinking that leads to a life change. And many of us have 
been shaped in, very deeply when it comes to conflict and how to deal with it. Repentance says, consider another way. Turn and allow yourself to be shaped in a new way. And we begin through that with, with prayer. And some of us just need the power of God to come over us to deal with our fear, with our own resentments and anger and passive aggressiveness. And so our prayer team will be here. At some point, if you've never taken any of our courses, the Emotionally Healthy Discipleship courses, especially if you are a member of this church or you've been coming here on a regular basis, you owe it to yourself and to your family and to your friends and to the body of Christ and to the kingdom of God to learn a new way of being in the world. And God wants to use you with great power. And so I want to strongly encourage you to sign up for that whenever the, the next one uh, comes up. We'll, we'll have that information shortly. But come up for prayer, and then we'll have uh, Anthony here to give the bread and the cup. And when we, when we take the bread and the cup, we are reminded of the extent to which God went to make peace, to, to, to reconcile us to himself. That it wasn't, it was bloody, it was hard, it was a death. But out of this death, resurrection comes, and now we have friendship with God. And so when you take the bread and dip it in the cup, I want to invite you to offer whatever tensions you have, whatever conflicts you've been avoiding, whatever situations that you have been maybe making matters worse. And when you take the bread and dip it in the cup, you're saying, Lord, would your life so fill mine that I would be a peacemaker, one who works for true peace. And so as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven to receive a blessing. If you're watching online, just right before your phone or your laptop, your computer, just open your hands right there as well. And as you hold your hands out, maybe there's some, some difficult moments ahead that you have before you to make peace. And just with, as a sign of receiving, may God give you everything you need, the community you need, the power of the Holy Spirit, the, the tools and skills you need to be a peacemaker in this world. And so with your hands and your hearts, in a posture of receiving, brothers and sisters, and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. May you walk out of this building in the power of the Holy Spirit as one working for true peace, as a peacemaker. May you experience the blessing of God, the abundance of God, the joy of God, the happiness of God. And may wholeness and healing come around you. May reconciliation and justice flow through you. And may we get see a sign of the kingdom of God at work through your life this week. I bless you all today in the strong, in the beautiful, in the peacemaking name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. amen. Grace and peace to you all.